Hello and welcome to a very 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 special episode on Tetetet by Fresco Media. I'm Shreyas and I'm joined by two very very passionate Arsenal fans. One of whom is Rick Dasgupta who joins us for his first episode. How are you Rick? I'm good man. Thanks for having me. And we welcome back Sid who has come back after months hiatus. Um <laughs> uh, not the best of spirits it has to be said but how have you been coping Sid? Uh yeah I've been coping well I think you know top of the table Liverpool fan recently just turned you know the <laughs> Arsenal who I have no idea what Arsenal listen there's there's no reason to bring Liverpool into the picture this this podcast is all about <laughs> Arsenal and we're, we're going to be oh, talking God. about <laughs> specifically the decline because in uh, recent weeks it's become more obvious that Arsenal is completely at rock bottom um and it's priv- it's a privilege that i have both of you guys on to kind of go through what has led to this decline in uh, what we're titling this as a factor or no factor series so i've given you a few um key inc- incidents that happened over the years and you guys have given me your thoughts on whether it was a factor or not so let's begin then with the move from highbury to the emirates and of course like many clubs have changed stadiums over the years to reflect a modernized kind of outlook on the club and bring more fans into the stadium it does cover the cost of you know heritage and tradition so um i want to ask you rick how where do you stand on the emirates being a factor in um the the beginning of arsenal's decline really so for me i think it's one of the biggest factors right because um other than the fact that highbury had a ridiculous amount of heritage you know we went invincible there um all of that and we won like uh, essentially won arsen wenger won everything at the, at Highbury the idea is that it set us back like uh, the Emirates deal set us back financially and because of that we had to kind of let go of players like Vieira and then Henri eventually and then Eduardo and you know like it's it spiraled into us just letting our best players go because we couldn't give them what they wanted in terms of wages and we couldn't match their uh, professional uh career goals because we couldn't buy buy good enough players to actually challenge for the title and actually win the league and i think that was where i mean everything changed where it was just where we became we kind of made it a secondary mission and we were just like you know what we just need to stay top 4 keep this champions league and just keep the club going so that we can pay off our stadium debt um and i think that's why i feel like it's one of the big big factors in the decline over the last um decade and a half was it also the fact that it coincided with you know Andre leaving the club and a lot of legends uh, leaving the club did it also be a become a bigger factor you might say sir see i think when i'm speak i'm, I'm going to be speaking on behalf of all of all of the arsenal fans who kind of started following club maybe especially after 2007 2008 where we 2007 2008 where we actually one part of the club when in the sense that we weren't supporting the club when they moved from Highbury to the Emirates but i think one thing has been clear for us as fans who have followed the club for maybe more than a decade now i think every fan knows that the promise that was made by the club to the fans when we made this move to the Emirates it is for one reason and one reason only to compete with the super super clubs like for example Madrid Barcelona by munich and even manchester united at the time because we were the two biggest forces in england for uh, english football at the time um they said that because you know highbury had its own kind of attractiveness in the sense that it was a very close ground the pitch was extremely near to the stand and you could hear the fans screaming and chanting and it had its own allure to, in the sense that a lot of fans from outside used to come and go to the stadium because of its fabled uh, red marble halls and uh, a lot of fans were against the move to go to the emirates because of course we all know it's kind of how the cop how anfield is to the liverpool fans but at the end of the day we realized that you know we needed to expand our stadium in order to compete with these clubs especially when it comes to match day revenue i mean just as an example in the 2018-19 season we had 110 million come into match day revenue and i think it's the highest in the world for any football club so it just goes to show that in certain moves in terms of finance especially it has kind of been a success for the club but coming to on the pitch uh, dealings i think it's been a major factor because we we were also told that when we do make the move maybe for 8 to 10 years we're going to be very very prudent with our spending when it comes to players and especially the wages that we can offer and arsen menger i think he was dealt a bad hand and credit needs to go to him that he showed the loyalty to the club in order to ensure that we consistently finished in the top 4 
and the Champions League earnings made sure that we were able to pay off the stadium debts within 8 to 10 years. But as a factor, yes, it played a huge role. We weren't able to uh, attract the players that we were normally able to attract during the early part of Arsmenger's tenure. And at the same time, we couldn't cope up with the wages that were being offered to certain players, say in, in United, Chelsea, and then City came along in 2008 as well. And Liverpool are Liverpool, so they were always there. Um, I think Adebayo, Clichy, Samir Nasri going to uh, Manchester Some City. Some of the I legends a... of Arsenal you've spoken about there, really. <laughs> Some of the legends because, uh, I mean, in oh, more than God. one sense, they've been um, stalwarts because at one point it felt that these players, you know, Adebayo, Eduardo, Nasri, Fabregas, they're almost at the end of what you would call a cycle where Arsenal would eventually lift a title. It never happened. Um, obviously, due to many uh, reasons. But one thing that has been mentioned as a possible factor within between 20, 2006 and 2010 for not winning the title was the injury to Eduardo during the season. Um, Rick, you, you mentioned that it was a major factor that season and you even went on to say that um, if not for that injury, Arsenal would have won the league. Now, retrospectively, if do you think that if Arsenal won that title, it would have solved all the other issues that plagued them in the decade following that incident? So, I feel like it's hard to say that we wouldn't be uh, like uh, in a terrible situation it's it's very hard because retrospectively while I do believe that it, it changed our fortunes because um, from where I stand if we win the league that season uh, Eduardo doesn't get injured we, he, he stays um, in the team he keeps scoring we win the league then there's a, a financial injection that we just didn't see throughout um uh, the 14 years odd years that it's uh, that we've been kind of paying off our debts uh, since that in- so was that the reason for 40 billion and one pound then for Luis Suarez <laughs> uh, yeah. one second one second one second one second that's a cheap shot <laughs> cheap shot I was getting into it uh, yeah I mean I think that that was just terrible management right like um, we just Ivan Gazidis at his best right we were it just it made no sense to antagonize a club that way. But it's just like why why we would offer one pound instead of maybe just going above um and offering 45 million for a player that would almost certainly win us the league. Uh, I, I, one second, I'm curious to ask you as an Arsenal fan, do you think the club owed an explanation to the fans? Because I don't think this has ever happened in football ever before. That, you know, there's a, there's a supposed transfer clause in a player in a player's contract, and we have kind of met it with the added on one pound, which kind of obviously got uh, Liverpool uh, owners riled up there. And, you know, that infamous tweet, what are the, what, are the, what do you think they're smoking over there at the Emirates? Uh, do you think as a fa- as a club, the way that it was publicly handled, do you think that they should have explained what their thinking process was when it came to submitting such a ludicrous... I, I think for sure. Because just because of the impact that that bid had, um, if it was a bid for any other player, I think the explanation would have just not been required. But because it was for a player like Luis Suarez, such a higher profile player that was firing that proficiently, the, the, the player he wanted to come as well, right? He wanted to come exactly. as well. Exactly. The, the I, fact that yeah. we messed up a deal that was almost sure shot by just for no reason antagonizing Liverpool's owners, I felt like was why we deserved for sure an explanation as to why like what went through their minds when they made that bid i think it was definitely something that they should have tackled better again recently there are some reports that uh, said that that bid was actually made just to kind of appease the fan base and actually just to kind of show them that yes we are kind of trying to attract these type of players do you think that it was like a false kind of submission I, of a bid I refuse which to they knew that would have been rejected out of hand I, I refuse to believe that's true mm. there's no way you bid 40 million on one pound to appease the fans I feel like anyone can see through that and I feel like it's it's so bizarre that you don't have to be like a football financial like expert to know that that's just <laughs> that's not how dealings are done I feel like it's hmm. just it's it's hmm. dealing in bad faith from the get go, and I feel like that's that's never a good idea to do. Yeah, and I think it's 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 crazy to think that this is the start of what you might call the banter era of Arsenal. Uh, I think it's a very famous thing these days, but I don't think it would have been even thinkable at that stage. Um, and uh, Sid, you gave me a very good line there. You know, John W. Henry, Liverpool owner, saying that 
um, on on his response to the bid uh, put in by Arsenal for Luis Suarez, saying what's smoking there at the Emirates. Uh, well, I, I think an Arsenal keeper was caught smoking in the bathroom at Southampton. So, was that truly the start <laughs> of the banter era for Arsenal? Was there really, um, was it the start of something that was just going to spiral into something that no one would have believed? See, I don't think I don't think that's a factor. Personally, Chesney uh, smoking in the bathrooms, the Southampton uh, dressing room. I mean, saying it sounds as ludicrous as it is. I mean, come on, <laughs> you can never expect a professional <laughs> player to just go and switch on the shower and then actually smoke, and then you know, Wenger coming in and just smelling the cigarette, and then you know, absolutely letting rip at Chesney. And yeah, I mean, that effectively ended his career at Arsenal as long as Arsene Wenger was there. And in hindsight, Chesney himself said that. Uh, he was right to do that. Arsene Wenger was right to do that. Obviously, you're not going to expect a professional player to go and light one up in the shower, especially after he was sent off against Southampton. And I don't think that's a factor, like a long-term factor for the demise of the club. We can obviously look back and say that, of course, Chesney, right now, he's doing wonders at Juventus. He's keeping out Gigi Buffon, who's, of course, past his prime. But that's not going to be a factor that should not be a factor in terms of long term effect to the club as a whole and uh, their capability of uh, challenging at the top at least for the top 4 and uh, the cup competitions but uh, i think that is one of the signs of where wenger i don't think he ever lost the dressing room i think all the players that played under wenger respected him the problem is certain players weren't good enough a and they kind of took him for a ride where i don't think they still have the respect for him but they didn't realize that certain things need to be put aside and that the effort and application was required on the pitch and i think that is one of the signs that wenger not that he was losing the dressing room i think it was just time for a change at arsenal football club and a change for the culture that was there at the football club people were too comfortable at the club and i think that's been a running theme for quite some time now yeah there was a mini change actually in 2012 i wanted to point it out so 2012 you know you had the um, departures of fabregas nasri and van persie of course had major contributions for the club but then when you sign olivier giroud alex sanchez and mesut ozil um, how did you feel at that point rick when you had players that were proven in their own leagues not in the premier league necessarily but you had to fill the shoes of three players who had proven it day in day out for arsenal so um that's a twofold question i've never been happier than i was as an arsenal fan the day we signed mesut ozil um i think that's the peak of like superstar right that we bought um and so i felt like mesut ozil adding mesut ozil to our squad was an unbelievable signing proper statement of intent no yeah, proper, proper statement exactly it showed that we were trying to go somewhere because he was like he he was so phenomenal at real madrid that for arsenal to have signed a player that was day in and day out assisting ronaldo and so effortlessly doing so it's it was the most elated i've been as an arsenal fan um what the 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 problem with the percy nazri um uh, them leaving was ozil came a while after right there was a there's a gap in between all of this happening and and i think the the biggest problem that arsenal had was constantly selling to their rivals and i it 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 made no sense to me then and i feel like now uh, i i listen to robin van persie talk about it that and talk about how he didn't want to go to another club in the league and he was supposed to go to italy and arsenal kind of blocked that move and there was just a bunch of uh problems that happened with him moving to a bunch of different clubs and then he essentially decided that he was going to go to united and we tried to keep him isn't it just isn't it just such a weird thing to think about you're a club that's playing in the premier league you have one of the best strikers in the premier league if not in, in its history and you have offers from another continent or another country and you decide you know let's give him up to a right exactly how See, crazy is that I, like, what is the what is the common factor in all of these things that bald fraud ivan gazidis i mean okay i'm biased i'm not going to i'm not going to criticize wenger i mean i follow football because of the guy like i'm not going to criticize wenger like he's had his faults god knows he's had his faults but this is a pure financial decision that has been taken by the ceo of the club that is ivan gazidis van persie has come out numerous times and has always defended arsen wenger and said arsen wenger needed more financial banking he needed it 
but he has also gone on to criticize Ivan Gasiris in the same uh, podcast that Rick was talking about, the high performance podcast, where he's talking about the situation where he has decided he's going to go to Juventus. Okay, forget what he did. He's gone to United. I'll never forgive him for that. But he wanted to go to Juventus. Ivan Gazidis forced his hand to move to United just based on the fact that he was getting 5 million extra. At the end of the day, there's so much only Arsene Wenger can do. That has to go down on the CEO. It has to be the CEO's fault for letting that happen. And that is the problem when you have a CEO who's not interested in the footballing matters of the club. He does not understand what it is to be an Arsenal player. He does not understand what it is to be an Arsenal fan. Seeing an Arsenal player move to United. That too, especially in 2012. One year on from 8-2. A lot of our problems right now is because of... I, I, I also and want that to add that... Sid said it perfectly, right? But he doesn't understand the footballing side of things. Where Robin Van Persie talks about how... He, was, he wanted to be convinced to stay. And they were showing him their finances. Right? And showing them that they were healthy as, as an organization. Right? No player cares. There is no player today that cares about the financial situation of the club, right? Um, was they, it Mr. W- Ozil asking the club about their financial situation? <laughs> no, yeah, the, the, okay, the completely different situation. Context, context matters, right? But in, in terms of what Robin Van Persie wanted and what the club was giving him, there was, there was, no, um, it, it, there was no connection between the two. And, and essentially, we forced Percy out to wherever he went, right? He did end up going to United because we were apparently getting 5 million more. But while we're talking about Ivan Gazidis, this is the same guy who sold, who didn't want to sell Kieran Gibbs to, I think it was West Brom. And then we sold him three months later for 3 million less, right? And it's just like, it's decisions like that that I think made, not only did it hamper us financially. It alienated the base also. It alienated the fan base from the club as well. It, and and it just made us, uh, uh, in terms of attracting players, you cannot be portrayed as a laughing stock in the transfer market and then attract players. And I think that's what happened. Where it was just like, we made so many bad decisions that it was just getting more and more difficult to convince a player to come to Arsenal. Yeah, I think that's very well said because um, not many players would, you know, they, they, I think a lot of players actually, if you think about today's era of 25, 26-year-olds say that, you know, in my childhood, I supported Arsenal. You've seen the countless number of players who come out and said, Arsenal was my favourite Premier League team and whatnot. Especially I want to play for them. British spawn players who are hitting their peak of 22, 23, 24 right now. Even if they supported the club at the age of 10, 12, 14, they saw a club that may not have been necessarily winning things, but they were playing the most attractive football in the land. And that is one thing about Arsenal that I think is any Arsenal fan, we can't debate that. We've always played attractive front foot football. Pass 1-2, one, 1-2 two, one, two here and there. You go. We, we've scored the best team goals in the Premier League era. The whole problem is right now, the current situation of the club, it's not in the making of a year or two years. It has been almost a decade. The problem is at the top. Absolute mismanagement of the club finances. Absolute mismanagement of the club players and the coaching staff. There has been no clear structure forward, no future planning. Okay, we may have to necessarily risk this season in order to ensure that the next three, four seasons, we are stable on the pitch. Extremely bad recruitment in certain cases. And of course, criticism has to be aimed at Wenger there for certain players that he has bought. But the problem is the club has not given him the backing. They've not given Una Emery the backing that required. Una Emery, for all his faults, he clearly came out and let's not forget, he wanted Christopher Nkuku into the club. And look at what he's doing right now at RB What a Leipzig. big miss. What a big, what a big miss. miss. He came out and he said, Christopher Nkuku is going to be a fantastic player. We need him at Arsenal. And he was available at 16 million. Arsenal offered him 10 million to PSG. PSG didn't want it. Of course, we all know how Arsenal are in the fucking transfer market. But that's a big miss. And he wanted Wilfred Zaha over Nicolas Pepe. I don't think any, any Arsenal fan right now is going to tell you Nicholas Pepe is better than Wilfred Zaha right now. Look at what Wilfred Zaha is doing to the team. Same price, same price, and same country as well. Begged, he begged Chris, Crystal Palace to draw, lower their valuation to 55 million in order for Arsenal to meet that. Yet they still only stumped up 45 million up front. Whereas for Nicholas Pepe, they were willing to structure the deal for 72 million. Are you telling me if they went to Crystal Palace board and said that we'll give you 70 million, but we'll structure it this way? You think it won't have happened? See, there's a lot of problems in the clubs, there are a lot of problems in different departments. And honestly, the problem starts with Stan Kroenke and his lack of interest in the club. So, I, 
I have something to say about since since um, uh, Sid brought up Stan Kroenke. I think what's important to note is people like to bring up his success with the LA Rams, um, and like uh, how he's done well with them. You know, he's kind of invested and things like that. I think the difference there, there are huge problems. There's a big disparity between American sports and uh, sports around the world, like leagues around the world. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so one thing that's important to note is that in American sports, in the NFL, the NBA, uh, I'm not sure about the MLB, but I'm sure it follows a similar um, structure is structure, there, yeah. there is no relegation. That is one. And the second yes, thing is that... it's a closed shop. It's a closed shop. Correct. Yeah. And the second part, which is, I think, even more important, is the worse you are, the higher a draft pick you get, which is just not how it works in, in uh, any sport around the world. Right? So, if you Arsenal can, finished can, 20th can you, this season... You can't compare. Exactly. You can't compare. Uh, if both. Arsenal finished 20th this season, not only do we get relegated, we also don't get the best players out there as opposed to what happens in America. But can I go a little bit off script here? Can I go a little bit, you know, away from the point you're trying to make and say that the lower Arsenal have finished in the table the last couple of years, the higher the amount of money they've been shelling out on players, you know, Nicholas Pepe, Thomas Partey, where has the money but, been when they were successful? But that's the problem, right? The recruitment has been hit or miss. Hit and miss, yes. And the problem that I have, the, my extreme fear is that Stan Kroenke is going to look at the fact that, okay, maybe over the last two years, yes, I have backed my club. I have made sure that the finances have been available for certain players. But the problem is he's not realized the first time that he's actually backed the club financially, he has shelled a little bit of money out of his own pocket. Yes, the recruitment, recruitment has been hit or miss. He needs to do that again. He needs to do that again. He needs to make sure that the funds are available to Mikel Arteta. What I'm scared about is that he's going to have the mentality of saying, no, I have backed the uh, I have backed the club with the money. And it didn't work. They have not. Yeah, it didn't work. Yeah. Now he might as well go down the route of youth and buying players that we can mold in two three years and then make them a star and then sell on the kind of uh, policy that Wenger had during the two thousand seven to two thousand twelve kind of era where he was paying off the debts. We don't need to pay off the debts right now. And let's not forget, Stan Kroenke before two thousand eighteen had not put a single single dollar from his own pocket into the club. So the least we can expect from this man is to at least spend 150, 200 million of his own pocket money in order to make certain changes in the club so that the financial future and the playing future of the club is secure for the next three, four years. Yeah, and, and let's not forget that the, you brought up the 55 redundancies. We made 50, so 55 redundancies came because of COVID, which also incidentally made Stan Kroenke richer than he was before it, right? And it's just like... <laughs> In terms of um, paying out of your pocket, uh, it looks really bad on a club like Arsenal to go out and stand Kroenke to be like, okay, I'm going to spend 45 million on Thomas Partey, but 55 people, including the guy who's been our club mascot for the last, I'm not sure how long, to become a redundancy, right? I, I refuse to believe that that's not a price he can pay when... Um, he has actually become hundreds of millions of dollars richer over the COVID pandemic. You know, this is something that I don't know. Like, I, I don't necessarily agree with that on a very basic level. And I'll tell you why. At the end of the day, all these clubs have become businesses. And it's not like Liverpool and Spurs did not do the same. They had their own redundancies. Oh, of course, not 55. But they had their own redundancies. Man United had their own redundancies. All the top clubs had their own redundancies. Real Madrid have almost lost 300 million in revenue due to the COVID uh, crisis. They've had to let go of so many staff members. Of course, being Arsenal and being part of the Premier League, we're going to get a lot of exposure and uh, media-related uh, stuff because of this. But you can look at it and you can say that, yes, okay, the redundancies have happened. We can talk about it being in the commercial space. And we can be talking about it in the scouting department as well, which has been uh, prob probably properly highlighted in certain articles. But at the end of the day, it's a business, and I do get it. And that's the problem with it. He's being he's running it like a business, and I don't a think he's running a proper it. business. He's not running it well. His business yeah. is gonna go into loss. The worst. It's already play, been in losses. We've already been in losses. And that's what I, I, isn't is is it not? Is it not irritating you? Because it's irritating me. Because he's still not putting in the money required. Okay, Thomas yeah. Partey, yeah. Thomas Partey is going to be a fantastic player for us. But 
not one player is going to change this team from what we are. We are mid, we are a mid-table team right now with this squad. Not not stature, not club. We are talking about team on the pitch. We are a mid-table team. At best, we can finish top seven. Do you think we are going to finish above Leicester? I don't think we are going to finish above Leicester. How can we finish above Leicester? Well, speaking of Leicester, I actually want to go back. You know, I want to go back. We've we've progressed on to how the commercial side of things are just an absolute shambles, right, at Arsenal. And I think um, there's a lot you can say about Stan Kroenke, Josh Kroenke, who is now apparently involved in Arsenal's business. But let's go back to 15-16 because that's the year Leicester won the uh, Premier League. And for all intentions and purposes, would that be the year that Arsenal should and has to have won the Premier League? Due to the competitors being so off the boil. Um, Rick, Rick, Rick is going to take this. But before that, yes, 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 yes. That cha- that season could have changed everything. So, but yeah, that that season was like our make or break. Uh, in terms of everyone was kind of struggling. All the big teams were struggling, and it was it, it had come to a point where I remember I was with Sid. Uh, we watched the Leicester game. I think it was in Feb. Together and Danny yes. Welbeck scored that goal. Yes, yes. No, no, yes. no. Two one. Danny Welbeck scored in the five two, right? Five two was five two was the first half two. of the season. Ninety two one. Yeah, Welbeck like last, last second six. of the game. Danny Welbeck scored. When oh, Danny Welbeck's header. Yeah. yeah. Over Leicester. We were the only right? team to and do the, the double over Leicester that, that season. Would spearhead our title challenge, right? Like that win, doing the double over Leicester would have won us the title, and we choked so hard in the last. Like in the last couple of games, we oh, like, we just fell off completely to the extent that we let Spurs go above us and we finished second. Like I, I remember like, and it will always go down as, okay, Leicester won, Arsenal finished second. But we had no right to finish second. We finished second on the last day of the season, like the last game of the season. Um, I think, was it because uh, Spurs lost 5-0? Yeah, Spurs lost 5-0. Newcastle, Spurs lost five. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So Spurs conceded five. Right. And and uh, it was just it was such like it was us bottling it at such a high level because we just could not like keep up. Like we just couldn't win games towards the end. Like we beat we did everything right up until the end, and then we just bottled it completely. Um, and I feel like that would have been make or break because we'd have made so much money from that season, like just winning. Um, that, you know, maybe we could have had players that would have kind of stuck, uh, like we would have had players that would have kept, you know, Alexis Sanchez at our club. Players that actually created a difference. If I think of my team right now, Alexis Sanchez in my team right now would have made a difference because he was a direct player. Like he would run at defenses. He would scare defenses, which is something that we don't have currently. Right. And it's just like, if maybe we could hold on to an Alexis Sanchez by uh, just being able to promise them silverware. Which is something we couldn't do because it just never looked like we were getting better from there. Right? I think that would have been like a changing point in our fortune. Yeah, I think when you say Alexis Sanchez, um, I I remember what Sid told me about Sanchez because, um, you know, he was the guy, right? He was the face of the club for that one year, for a couple of years, you might say. Um, everything rested on his shoulders. Him and Ozil. Him and Ozil. Yeah, but it was Both more Sanchez like the... because he contributed directly in terms of his goals and yeah. so-called effort yeah. and stuff like that, right? So, yeah. uh, you yeah. mentioned that he was probably the leader of that pack along with Ozil, of course. And then when it came down to his last 12 months of his contract and contract negotiations, the whole story changed, like completely changed. And um, how much does it affect a club when you have no chance of keeping your players on through, you know, offering them trophies or playing success and you'd rather have to offer them a bumper contract? And they don't need to see the player just get demotivated because why? They're getting the money. Why should they play? Huge. Huge. Huge factor. And I'll tell you why. If I were a player, if 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 even you two were a player at the highest level, say you're coming from Bundesliga, you're an up-and-coming talent, you're at the age of 22, 23, you have your sights set at winning the Premier League or whatever domestic title there is. And of course, you want to have a good run in the Champions League in the coming years. Now you look at Arsenal, you see Alexis Sanchez, who at the time, let's not forget, I think he was in the top 10 players in the world. On form for those eight months during that season, he was ridiculously unplayable. Let's not forget that. And if you're going to look at a player like that, who's thinking thrice, five times, ten times of signing a new contract with Arsenal, even when we're having a title challenge, 
you're going to be like, okay, why should I join this club? Alexis Sanchez doesn't want to stay here. He's looking to change clubs. He's looking to maybe even look to move to Manchester United, who are finishing below us at the time. So clearly, there's something at the club that he's not liking or he's like, okay, no, we need more players. We need to get in two, three more bodies in order to ensure that we have a squad that's capable of challenging the title as well as having a significant run at the Champions League. Well, let's not forget that we've been getting battered by Barcelona and uh, by Munich consistently for the last five, six years. And of course, in between, Monaco had, had to come and do a number on us as well. I mean, I'm going to come back to that about Olivier Giroud in some time. But as a player looking on from the outside, you're not going to like what's going on at the club, right? You want to see the club challenging. And we did challenge that season. And that is why that season is a major factor, in my opinion, because even if we didn't win that season, fine. We needed to build upon that season. We didn't go and buy the players that were required. We needed a CDM. We needed a centre-back. We needed one more attacking. Uh, we needed one more winger on the right-hand side. And that is a problem. Stan Kroenke, if he knew, if he knew what was good for him at the time and if he had the right people around him, Arsene Wenger, I don't think he was backed enough. If Arsene Wenger had the chance he would have gone and bought these three. He wanted the CDM that season. You could see that he was going and trying to buy Jeffrey Kondobia. Okay, we can debate whether he was good enough to come to our team or not. And let's not forget, uh, uh, what's his name? Steven Zonzi also was linked to us consistently as well. We just needed that influx of cash in order to get those two, three players that could have elevated us to the next level. And honestly, in my opinion, we could really challenge for the title next season as well. Yeah, and, and it's important to note that the biggest problem was that these were recurring issues at the club. Right? We've consistently had players come up to our board and say that, look, if you're not going to like properly invest in winning something, we're going to leave. It started with Henri, then went on to the Nazaris and the Van Persies, and then went on to Alexis Sanchez. And, and the problem is these are so far apart, all of these uh, incidents, that it's, it's annoying to think as an Arsenal fan that over even 10 years, nothing changed in terms of how we manage these situations. We couldn't promise Henri a Champions League and we couldn't promise Alexis Sanchez uh, the, the league. And, and it was just, it was the same thing, right? We were just letting our best player go because we couldn't, we couldn't guarantee them a, a trophy that they wanted, which is very fair for a player to want because now, as we can see, a player's career is judged by the trophies they win, whether or not they're at like the best teams or any of that. We do judge players based on the trophies they win. Um, and, and I think it is it's it is something a player wants, right? And the, the fact that we haven't been able to offer our best players what they want to stay is very telling of long-term problems that have been at the club, which I think is prob problematic. So the aftermath of that season then, the, the title winning and what you would say they should have built, built upon and probably challenged again, um, then you had another mini shuffle, you would say, and the Arsenal pecking order. You had a lot of departures. Aaron Ramsey, of course, who left the club. And the biggest one of them all, you know, Arsene Wenger. Um, finally, you, you guys have said that he was a scapegoat in all of this um, on hindsight because I think it was the best for him also that he left his legacy in the right way instead of, you know, being forced out of the club in a way that would have sounded as if he had destroyed the club. I don't think that was the case. But with all these big changes happening, you would expect that at some point, there would be a flurry of changes that came in and just reset the whole pecking order. And, you know, some people will get their heads nailed in, you know. A lot of people who have been in the club for the last 10 years, since the Emirates, since all the incidents you've kept on mentioning over the past decade. Surely, they, this one moment when Wenger left and they signed Una Emery as the new manager had to be the turning point. I mean, uh, Una Emery, just, my only issue with that was the whole process about choosing the replacement for Arsene Wenger because we saw so many different names linked to the club. And I think that again showed that there was not much of, uh, uh, how to say, at the club level, that time we had Sven Nislintat who had been recruited and he was highly regarded at Borussia Dortmund for his uh, youth findings and uh, talent uh, unearthing in the, especially in the Eastern European market. And uh, Raul Sanelli came with a lot of pedigree from Barcelona for being a contacts-driven guy who knew everyone, who he knew whoever was required to know in football at the highest level. And um, of course, we had Ivan Gazirius as well. And these three spearheaded the uh, process to find the new manager for Arsenal Football Club. And if you notice at the time, for the next two to three months, 
there were a lot of leaks coming out saying that okay Julian Nagelsmann is going to be one of the leading candidates and then of course Mac Massimiliano Allegri came into the picture and Luis Enrique at one time was a front runner to take over the club and then finally I think two three days before Unai Emery was uh, announced as the manager of Arsenal Football Club he came out of nowhere he had just left Paris Saint-Germain his uh, you could say a spell at Paris Saint-Germain PSG was kind of considered a failure because of of course let's not forget 6-1 Barcelona and uh, the fact that they didn't have a sustained run in the Champions League but looking at his pedigree and the fact that we had just dropped into Europa League again it kind of made sense to go for Unai Emery but then the fact that the process was so slipshoddy and that it was very mismanaged there was no proper theme to it we didn't know who we were looking for one minute you look at Max Allegri the next minute you look at Julian Nagelsmann and I just think that the problems are still there at the club they had no clear process for the future no clear path for the future and I think that Looking at hindsight, Unai Emery, even though I didn't like him that much, not all of it was down to him. I think a lot of it was down to the board and his. Their, uh, they didn't back him enough sufficiently in the transfer market. Yeah, and, and I think it's important to realize. So, so also, by the way, uh, Sid mentioned his failure at PSG. Another big failure at PSG was failing to win the league uh, yes, when he lost yes, it to Monaco. Yes. That's, I think that's... It's a catastrophic exactly. failure That's, in PSG terms, It's a huge sure. deal. It's, it's like if you lose the league with Juventus. I mean, it's, it's just not something that can be excused. But what's important to note is I feel like exactly what Sid said was it didn't seem like we knew what we wanted in our manager. Right? Like we were linked with so many people that had like, pol- like polar ideologies. Right? Like so for me, when, when someone asked me who I wanted, Right, as a as a Arsene Wenger replacement, or even as an Unai Emery re- replacement, when he was playing badly, when I said, you know, we should get Unai Emery out, was a was a person like Ten Hag, right, who who I had seen do things that reminded me of Wenger with like his youth, um, like his academy, like just a bunch of players coming up from the academy that were just that were phenomenal, and he made them look like they played football beautifully, right, like they. They played such amazing football. Did did the five one win over Fulham though? Did that skew your picture? Did that make you uh, make your mouth Jesus, water with excitement? That after game, that game? my god! That so that game was a game where I, I I'll tell you what I I I think there's a there's a um, the way I describe the Unai Emery era right. So that game had a few unbelievable goals right, and it was just like very good team play. You know, like Bellerin with the back heel, Ramsey taking it. Like over his head, I think it was just like a bunch of very like fancy play, right? But what tended to happen with uh, Unai Emery, especially in the second season, was we we were winning games where we were playing some terrible football, and then Aubameyang would come and bail us out, right? He would score a banger, right? Or he would score. Uh, I remember the Aston Villa game where Ainsley Maitland-Niles got a red card. And yes. then we were yes, two yes, one down, yes. and then we scored two goals. Oba finished with a, a free kick, and we won three two. Right, that was a game where I was super happy about the game, but you knew what was happening, and it was just individual. Do you, do you, do you, do you think the football grass. is worse under Mikel Arteta or Unai Emery? And in terms of pure football, easy on the so, eye, the type so, of football that they're trying to enact. So I think that's a hard question because I really did hate uh, the football under Unai Emery. And now I watch us and I'm bored and we lose. And so it's just like, I, I don't understand whether I think this is worse, but I definitely think like in terms of results, it is undoubtedly worse, right? Which is why I'm I, like, I'm in two minds as much as I like, I've been backing out at I'm like, you know what we need to invest and the squad just isn't good enough. He's, he's uh, inherited so much dead weight in, we knew Xhaka and Mustafa were bad three years ago and they're still at our club. Right, and it's just like we we've known these things, and we keep them in, and we kind of start them, and it's just I feel like it's it's a sad squad to inherit, but I also don't know how much he can influence because I haven't seen him in a man- managerial capacity. But um, yeah, on Unai Emery, actually, uh, that season, his first season in charge, um, I, I'm sure you guys remember the last 10, 15 games of the season where the top four race was absolutely wide open. It was That's City, Liverpool, fault. obviously, were nailed on for the top two. But the third and fourth spots, you know, none of the clubs that were in contention really wanted to win. Yeah. They didn't yeah. want to play in the Champions League and it was all in Arsenal's hands. We lost um, four out of five as games. As if they had to depend on Four anyone. out of five games. 
Wolves, Leicester, Crystal Palace and Brighton. And I remember this so well because of the fact we didn't take it seriously. Yeah, Rick. Uh, no, sorry, uh, sorry, said uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. But well, what I was saying was we also had the easiest run of the last nine fixtures. We had the easiest run to top four in terms of who we were playing, our fixtures, right? And we just didn't seem to take it seriously. We would play random, like we would change it up in the league. Like every game we would play with either a different set of players, a different backline, uh, a weird formation. Like it just seemed like we were experimenting for the Europa League, which made no sense because we had a clear path into, into the top four as opposed to in the Europa League, if you want to make Champions League, you have to win, right? Which is always, um, uh, like it, it is a tough ask to win in Europe. Uh, where, whereas we could have just taken those games a little bit more seriously, you know, not played Mustafi, which I think he made a bunch of errors leading to a bunch of goals. I remember Wilfred Zaha running past him, uh, like not even having to run past him. He just like he just walked away from Wilfred Zaha and Wilfred Zaha going and scoring. And, and Bosh could run. <laughs> yeah, and it was just like mistakes like that. And as much as you don't want to put individual mistakes down on the manager, the manager are, is still selecting these players, and and I feel like. That's what was odd to me is that we just seemed to not want top four because we just kept trying new things in the league and it never worked. In your eyes then, was he a dead man walking the season after? Because, you know, after going through something of a resurgence, you know, getting so close to the top four and then the negative vibe started kicking around the Emirates. I think, course, the know, I think the negative vibe was uh, the Chelsea game in Europe, Sid, I think you should elaborate on this. Where just like I, you cannot lose to a London rival for one. What do you think, Sid? You cannot lose, like he said, you cannot lose to a London rival for one, especially Chelsea. Okay, forget Tottenham. Our rivalry with Tottenham in the Premier League is something different. But Chelsea historically are the most successful club in London on the European stage. That is something that we Arsenal fans have craved. That is something that is always thrown at our faces by Chelsea fans saying that, okay, look at our one Champions League. Look at our two Europa titles right now. You know, for all said and done, we are still the biggest club in London historically. But for us to not have one Champions League, we are the biggest club not to win a Champions League, by the way. We should have won the Europa League that season. We should so have won the Europa League. doesn't explain why Olivier Giroud left Arsenal it, for I mean, Chelsea then. It's not, it doesn't explain, but then there are certain things that are more than just the game that's in front of you. You need to realize as players that you are playing for the club, you're playing for the badge, you're playing for the fans. And for them to go and put on such a disastrous performance, I can't blame Unai Emery totally for that. How can you blame uh, Unai Emery totally uh, for that? Alex Amobi, not good enough. Aba, he scored he, a banger in the banger. final. Sure. Also, he scored a banger, but he was not good enough. Yeah, you score a I, goal, you paper over the cracks. Aba was non-existent. But you can at least excuse him for the way he's carried the team throughout the rest of the season behind, before that. Alexander Lacazette, not good enough. The midfield, not good enough. Mesut Ozil, not good enough. Non-existent. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, and I think it's important to note that we were coming off almost a high where it seemed yeah. like we were overperforming and things like that. And then you had this Chelsea squad that was continuously fighting with their manager. And they had a problem with Sarri. There, there was a bust-up in training the like two days before the final and things like that and everyone's like you know what Chelsea are in like in a shambles right because it it just looked like everything was going wrong for for Sarri um, and and yeah. to then go into a Chelsea side that was clearly not at ease and just get battered right like just I mean <laughs> it just all went wrong uh, and Olivier Giroud like props to him he had a fantastic game but we just did not turn up to that game. And you can say man management, you can say that, okay, like I want to say this, you can say man management, you can say all of that, Unai Emery, his man management skills were clearly not up to the task. But as a player, do you need to really be motivated going into the finals of a Europa League? Do you really need the motivation to come from the manager? Like that's my opinion. To look at the way that they performed. Yeah, how... How is it that you? How is it that you're a passenger in a European final? The way that final? they performed that, yeah. that of course we can always point to the fact that Hazard also had one of the games of his life. Let's not forget that he absolutely massacred our backline. But he, he loves Arsenal. But, but we knew, but we knew that we knew he would do that. He's done that through like historically. Every time he plays us, he does that. Lose four so one. just like it's something that we should have been. I can ready bear for. losing one nil. Is, I can take the banter losing one nil. 
I agree. Lose to I agree. Okay, we put up a fight. Did we put up a fight? Nothing. And can you blame yeah, that, the manager? Yeah, that that one goal, like the that one goal, by the way, was like a random yeah. banger that came out of when we were losing four nil. And like, if you think good enough after important. that goal, Awobi would have not been sold for twenty eight add-ons to forty. Exactly. But the whole team didn't perform. Yeah. Honestly, the only person who stood up in that uh, thing, and I can't believe I said it, was Petacek. He kept us in the game. He kept us in yeah. the game. Yeah, and it was just like as much as I was like, how how he is it start. that Petacek starts could start, this yeah. game? I, and it was just like I. That's why I hated when we kind of, uh, like the fans abused him. And this goes back to you know like the AFP yeah, conversation yeah. and all of that. But it was just it made no sense to me to abuse him because he, he was, was a, a professional. professional. Like he he and, and maybe Leno would have been a better keeper at the time. Uh, but in terms of better check putting in a performance for us, he did what he could do. He did his best. And I refuse to like. If someone came and told me that he was playing for Chelsea that day, I would believe that they aren't a football fan. You've opened the can of worms already there. You said AFTV and the abuse, right? I think that is a very, very recurring theme across the last maybe two to three years. And I want to kind of transcend to the online space and the mental side of things because as much as we're talking about the commercial side, the playing side, the managers being at fault and recruitment not being good enough. The negative vibe that we keep talking about Arsenal, it also has a lot of influence with the friends, of course. Um, and what better to start off this debate with talking about AFTV. Um, Arsenal Fan TV, as they were formerly known, funnily enough, until they had to remove Arsenal from their name. Um, founded by uh, Robbie Lyle, who I call the Crocodile. <laughs> it rhymes, <laughs> so I go with it. But I remember, you know, the first AFTV video I watched was definitely one of Claude. Uh, or I think it was Claude Troops and uh, DT yeah. were the three. Who were the three most it... uh, revered guys on the show? And you know they. It all started with Wenger out, right? Wenger out was a international phenomenon. Um, you go to um, the bathroom, you see Wenger out. You go to a festival, you see Wenger out. Anywhere it was Wenger out, and it was a joke for many. It was serious for some. And I think the day it became serious was when they flew a plane over the Emirates, saying oh, it's time to go and Wenger out. So with AFTV coming along the scene and a lot of fans being, I wouldn't say a negative completely because they, they've attended most of the games that we haven't or any other Arsenal fans haven't. So they understand what's going on from the comfort of their eyes. But did it really kick on from there and then did the negative vibe just descend on all the fans of Arsenal? Uh, I'm going to start this one off and I'm just going to say that, dude, like anyone who knows me knows how high I regard Arsene Wenger. And when AFTV kind of boomed in like 2014, 2015, around that time, I was like, no, I'm never going to watch this channel. And of course, the the vitriol that was aimed at Arsene Wenger, I was, I was really pissed. I was like, no, how can they say that they're fans of this club? And of course, towards the end, even I was Wenger out. Not because I was like, okay, get the out of my club. No, I was like, for your own sake, leave the club. Save your legacy that you have in the club and just walk away. Some things aren't meant to be eter- for, for eternity. Leave. And he left. And I still hold him at the highest esteem. And now looking back at it, the more time that's passed, I look at it and AFTV, yes, they can be toxic. They can be extremely toxic, certain, especially troops. I mean, I think he just speaks absolute nonsense sometimes. But they are fans at the end of the day and they can have their opinion. These are fans who pay the highest ticket prices in the world to go watch a home match. They are entitled to their opinion. Okay, some of them might be for clickbait purposes. They might say a lot of rubbish in order to get the views and everything, but they are entitled to their views. And the way I look at it right now, I can't blame AFTV. Okay, we can blame for the banter image of the club, maybe on Twitter and Instagram and all that. Yes, agreed. But they aren't the ones who select the team. They're not the ones who built the squad. They're not the ones who go and make stupid decision of rendering 55 redundant during the COVID crisis and make it an absolute PR own goal, especially with Gunnosaurus. They're not the ones who went and did that. A lot of it needs to be aimed at the club. And rightly so in certain cases, because enough is enough. Because I'm not going to, I don't want, what is happening to this club is embarrassing. Yes, AFTV might amplify it in certain ways. And I don't like them in certain situations. I enjoy watching them when we win because they are level-headed then and they speak facts. And as a fan, you want to see how other other fans of your own club speak about the club. It's interesting and it's enjoyable to watch. When they lose, I don't want to watch the channel because it's toxic and I'm already in that same 
mind state of what is happening to my club but i can't well i think for entertainment purposes when arsenal lose the first thing anyone would do see, is go see, watch it see for you like you're a liverpool fan you're a liverpool anyone fan and arsenal you fan. are yeah you are perfectly placed to tell us from the outside how does it look as aftv is the biggest number one brand in terms of fan channels not just in football in all of sport in the world and as a fan as a liverpool fan from the outside what do you think do you think it's ruining our image as a football club i honestly think so um you guys have said that it's not really a factor for arsenal demise but here's where i stand when you have a squad that isn't really mentally strong and we've seen over the last 5 6 years how many players have come and gone have flattered to deceive so many occasions they're just not mentally strong and then you have aftv coming along and like you said is the biggest fan channel in the world undisputed um they have a voice in the game let's not be let's not kid ourselves they have a big voice in how arsenal play although that might not be easy to relate i still think they do have a big voice you see troops and obameyang you know exchanging you know messages and stuff like that i mean you don't see that in any other club tell me another club which has a player see again, i just want i just want to say one thing i just want to say one thing for oba as a player he's fantastic but he is not captain material again that's down to the club why make him the captain of this football club do you think for a second that he's captain material both of you do you think he's captain material for a second I, yeah no i i don't think he's captain material i he's the, the best of all the world, bad choices really Yeah so so the idea is that you cannot give Jaka the armband I think that's where that that's where you are with um that but my my entire thing is uh, also I I completely agree with Sid where where he talks about the Wenger situation I've actually had conversations with Sid I don't <laughs> yeah. know if you remember this Sid by the way is uh, where we talk about Wenger leaving and when we knew Wenger was leaving and I think both of us shared a sentiment sentiment where we were like you know what Hopefully yeah. he'll go to like PSG or someone and shut the haters up, right? Like go to a team where he gets backed financially because we still believe that he was a manager capable of doing unbelievable things. How many how many times have we heard this cliche that we've not replaced Patrick Vieira, we've not replaced Sol Campbell, we've not replaced Jens Lehmann, Laurent at right back? You know these leaders of the team. Okay, I do feel. I do feel that football has changed. We don't have to have the Keens and Vieiras of the world anymore in in football. Not everything needs to be about going into battle on the pitch. I mean, I enjoyed it personally, but we need to keep up with the times. Not every football player is going to be like that. But there's a certain thing about at least the bare minimum when it comes to being a leader in the team. And I don't see that in any one of our players. Maybe one or two of them. Like for example, Socrates is one of the guys who I actually thought he would go on the pitch and he put his 130% on the pitch but he was not good enough that's a different thing but at least you couldn't fault him for putting his 100 he would put everything on the pitch he would not let anything back in the dressing room he would let it all on the pitch but he wasn't good enough and that's where again this recruitment needs to change it's not just about bringing on players who have an image who have a social media following you need to bring on players who can contribute to the mentality of the club positively as well and that's a big problem that's a big problem that's been haunting arsenal for god knows how long you know as fans outside of the club as well you can see what's happening to this club granit jaka one year on from what he did that stupid petulant act of his on Chris, uh, when we played crystal palace where he removed the uh, jersey and he threw it on the ground and told the fans to f- of course tell me any other club that would have given him a second chance i wanted to give him a second chance i was an idiot i thought okay he has some talent there But tell me any other top level elite club that would have given him a second chance for what he did on the club or for what he did on the pitch that day. You know, it's it's also fascinating that it's not just him, right? He's frustrated for whatever reasons that no one will ever understand. But it's also the fans are so frustrated with the club not moving an inch since Arsene Wenger leaving that it just boils down to a moment of madness. And the last four or five weeks, we've seen how many ever red cards. I I, I can't even count right now. But it just stems from. not just the fans not the owners not the the players the the, the staff it's just uh, it's almost like all of them are merging into one entity where they're just like you know we're doomed there is no coming out of this uh, this is just finished yeah no i i it's it's unreal to me i i'll one up sit there where um i agree there is no other club that i can think of that would play a player after a situation like that but i'd go even further and say that his performances right like i don't see any to- like i don't think granit jaka starts 
based on his performances at Arsenal at any other top 10 club. And, and it's just like, to me, he is mediocre at best and has these antics and still starts for us, which is something that I would never understand. Agreed, agreed. I mean, that's the problem. You can't think of any other club like this. And of course, we f- love our club so much. But then at the end of the day, you look at it and you want change. You, I want change. Like, okay, Rick. It comes down to this, are you Ateta in or out? Like, and I think it's ludicrous for even for us to even talk about this right now, whether you're Ateta in or out, but that is the situation we're in right now. And it's not just down to Ateta, just down to the basic mismanagement of the club. But do you think he needs to be backed? So I, I, I think I'll answer your question, okay? And, and I think it boils down to this, right? Um, if you asked me last night, I was Ateta out, right? Um, but I've had some time to contemplate <laughs> this. Right, and it's just exactly what happens with AFTV, right? They're emotional. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so the idea for me is Arteta out achieves absolutely nothing in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? We, it, we, we start this cycle of a United-like situation and we'll be united without the funds. <laughs> right? We'll oh, not God. be able to back any mm. manager and it just, like, it, it just won't work. And the idea is for me, if we're changing things, right? I would much rather we switched, like, changed the top, like, at as far as we can go to the top. So I would much rather change Edu, and I would much rather get rid of Stan Kroenke. And so if I, if you told me that we need to change something, it would be to ch- get rid of Edu, get rid of Stan Kroenke. As much as and I would love I to would go stand. in front of Antilia and Bombay and say, Mukesh Bhai, please take over my club. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Yeah. Kroenke is never going to sell this club because at the end of the day, he uses it as collateral with the banks whenever required. And let's face it, we're stuck with this idiot for some time. My question is, bro, if you were right now in a position to make certain change at the club, would you remove Edu? I would. I would definitely remove Edu. Do you think Edu's out of his depth with the fact that he's never yes. had this type of job before? 100%. 100% out of would his Would you depth. bring Arsene um, Wenger you... back in, cert- in some capacity to the club? Say like a technical director or... Okay, not even a technical... But wouldn't that defeat the purpose of moving on, really? I think that would kind of set them back in time rather than moving on. I think... Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I... Exactly. Exactly. I, I think it's... I think it's reverting to... I, I, yeah. I think we need to kind of move on for a bit. I think that it's just been two years since Wenger has left. I think he deserves a break. Like, uh, he doesn't need need to tolerate for a while. Let him take a break and then maybe he comes back later. My point is... There is no other technical director in the world that would go to an agent's house to seal a deal with a player that is bang average, right? And uh, and it's exactly what Edu does. I feel like he's just not ready, and 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 he makes stupid decisions. I have I have a huge problem with that whole Raul Edu situation. They got rid of Sven Mislintat because they wanted Dennis Suarez amongst Emery and Raul. They wanted Dennis Suarez. Which is yeah. why they got rid of Sven Mislintat, right? Hmm. Because Sven Mislintat hmm. aggressively told them not to get Dennis Suarez. Not and to get him, yes. And we yes. know exactly what happened with the Dennis Suarez situation. Right? I feel bad for the guy, I really do. But he didn't play at all because he was injured when he came. He knew he was injured. And we still got him. And, and so the idea is that it's just a very badly managed situation. And I want, like, I want this entire thing to be reset where I don't think Edu is ready where we get someone who knows what he's doing into the club and see how it works there. I See, again, coming to this, and I think we as fans understood that the season is going to be one of transition. And I think, okay, fine, even if fans are kind of understanding the, f- the severity of the situation, the rebuild job that's at the hands of Arteta right now, what is the certain... Where do you draw the line when it comes to, okay, understanding that it's a transitional period for a club like Arsenal... Which honestly, let's pay, let's let's be real. Whatever said and done, any any season we can't finish below top eight, like bare minimum top eight, top nine. To be fighting for fifteenth spot right now, and it's not it's not August, it's 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 not September, October, it's December, bang middle of December. I'm still Arteta in because there's there so many problems that run deeper than Arteta and deeper than Edu itself. But how long am I going to be Arteta in and be like, okay, I'm willing to give him time. I think, but maybe I think, another guy think, can come in and yeah, get so a better Rick, tune Rick, out of his players. Yeah, so Rick, just want to cut it off. Um, 
how long would it, would it actually take if they had a reset you know this at the end of this season at the end of next season how long would you think or do you feel it would take for arsenal to get back to even top 6 at this rate so um if you look at uh teams that have kind of revitalized their dark squad right and and i always looked at liverpool and as much as i'm like you know what klopp is the best manager in the world currently i think he's i think he's a lot better than pep um as much as i respect pep i think klopp is the best manager in the world um the idea was that klopp squad was bang average until he got i'd say maybe two main players right he he got two essential players which was alisson and van dijk right and and i think just by doing that he had solidified a spine and then had like his mentality monsters you know like then have a jordan henderson who by the way was where was he linked to Fulham. was he linked to west brom or was he to fulham. fulham he was linked to fulham right where and and even fulham at the time were like you know what maybe jordan henderson is not good enough and then you suddenly see when you have a spine and like a manager obviously that can that can kind of uh, uplift the squad suddenly the whole like fortunes change right and and i think that's what we're lacking and I, by no means am i comparing arteta to klopp but what i am saying is that we need a spine we need a solid solid set of center backs and we need a midfield right and it's just at this point we have neither thomas partey does more in midfield than the three other midfielders we put on when he is not available <laughs> and and that and that to me is unacceptable right and it's just like we need a functioning midfield and another center back next to gabriel who i think is solid and i think maybe then and i, I by the way i already believe well uh, leno is a very good keeper he might not be the best with his feet but i think he's a great shot stopper um the idea for me is that you have to have a spine that that can hold its own which i i just feel like we are nowhere we 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 run around headlessly and aimlessly and and it just hampers how we play football i i i agree with everything that rick said and more and i just think it just needs to be an overhaul as well like these are the same players that threw wenger under the bus these are the same players that threw unai emery under the bus and these will be the same players that throw mikel arteta under the bus if it doesn't suit their agenda we have 10 players like i agree with what rick saying we need to buy at least 5 6 more players and that depends on the recruitment and i'm praying to god these are players that are around the age of 20 to 26 i don't want players anymore at the age of 29 30 who have maybe one or two mediocre average like seasons solutions. and then they just go on to become like you know burdens on our pay wage where we can't even get them off the payroll and then it becomes a huge problem of selling them and etc etc but we have around a good 10 players that we need to sell we need to get them out of the dressing room we need to get them out of the club because we've seen what's happened for the last 4 years 4 years and i'd say these last 4 years have been the worst even though we won two fa cups and two community shields this is not what we're aiming for it's been a very bad period during the club's history and we can't rely on these players anymore as much as it's easy it's going to be easy to say okay arteta out and maybe just try and get in pochettino or max allegri into the club they will want to spend money they will want to put their stamp on this squad and only then would you judge them so the same patience needs to be given to arteta the same money needs to be given to arteta same time needs to be given arteta of course if results continue like this then there's obviously a case to be made whether he is the right man for the job but this season is about transition he needs to steady the ship he needs to sell at least 3 4 of those players in jan and in the summer the rest of them and he needs to get in his own players yeah and at least then we can point the finger at him if they're continuing to have a bad run of form yeah and it's important to note that pep who he kind of apprenticed under also needs his players and needs his players to an extreme extent right to where like it seems like that he never has enough defenders or he never has enough full backs and things like that where it's just like but but you've always seen pep bringing in his players pep is very clear about who he wants and the fact that he wants them they pay however much they want for for players because they're like you know what this is the player i want right and i feel like you bro rick i'll tell you i i i'm sorry i'll tell you one small thing i just think 
everything that's not there at Arsenal right now is the ruthlessness. Claudio Bravo, one season, he was out of the door. Kepa, 72 million. If we paid 72 million for a player, oops, wait, we did. Yeah. <laughs> and we're still, <laughs> and we're still <laughs> playing him, trying to play him, trying to get a tune out of him. You know, the ruthlessness is not there in the club. Okay, this is a failure. Let's just get him out of the club. Kepa is a balaga. You can look at United, Paul Pogba, uh, Alexis Sanchez. If we had done the same deal for Sanchez, we would have tried to move as, heaven as and exactly earth in order as to we're ensure. Doing for Mesut Ozil because we're saying no one else will take him at that wage, as opposed to United, who just got rid of him whilst paying his wage, and they were like, you know what? And the same for Real Madrid Atlanta. with Gareth Bale as well. The same situation, you know. I think that's the thing. Arsenal aren't moving with the times. They're so behind the power curve in terms of thinking because. You think about the deals that happened this um, this summer window. Um, some of the deals doesn't even make sense because some of the clubs didn't even get an upfront payment. You know, you th- talk about the Thiago deal to Liverpool. I think Liverpool aren't, aren't paying any transfer fee until the next window or something like that. So that innovation, that connection, which obviously Edu might not, might or might not have. Um, but is Thiago a lack of- or Kia player? Thi- Kia. The the Kia is eruption. Okay. No, 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 no. See, bro. <laughs> See, they have Michael Edwards, who is a godsend for Liverpool fans right now. Of course, they would have said, what, what, what is that they said, uh, Shares, during Rogers' time? He was a keyboard guru or something. Yeah, he was a something keyboard like guru who, had, uh, who was just he fixated no footballing on the computer expertise. screen. He had nothing to do with football. Yeah. But then look at, look, look at what happens when you give time to a structure for it to be in place, for it to bed into the club. I mean, look at... Look at Klopp. I, I, I don't know why I revert back to Klopp. Listen, listen. Much I, I, I'll tell you one thing. If there's anything that I wanted to say to you guys, <laughs> considering the number of times you brought up Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp, Michael Edwards, I just have to say, just stick through the times. It will come back. <laughs> because I think I know from, from I think 2009 to around 2015, <laughs> 16, it was a desolate time, right? There was nothing to hope for. You think there's, only, there's, there's just going to be, it's just going to get worse and worse. The sixth one against Stoke was almost like the pitfall. It was you can't get up from there. There's no coming back, but it happens. And I think, um, I think that's where you guys have to <laughs> stay strong with your support for the club because at the end of the day, there will be one moment, one manager, one player, or a group of players will come up and you know change the equation. So um, I kind of wanted to end off on that because I think we can go on all day talking about the flaws of Arsenal. All day, yeah. Um, Thank you for your time, both you guys. Uh, I know it's tough times at the moment with Arsenal, but hopefully there's good times coming. Cheers, boys. I think think maybe Jan end, maybe we can see how it's changed. Yes. (laughs) Give it the transfer window. Well, by which time we don't know whether you'll have the same manager in Mikel Arteta or not. So thank you guys for your time. (laughs) And I hope you guys listening enjoyed this one. Be sure to follow us on all our social channels and also do subscribe to us on YouTube or follow us on Spotify, wherever you're listening. So for now, it's goodbye from us and I hope you have a great day.